It's Mr. Fox of the I Refuse Podcast here with another great episode. First off, let me say happy Halloween, babies. I want to give a couple shout-outs to two great costumes, celebrity costumes I've seen over the weekend. First, Diddy as the Joker in full makeup, fake grenade, fake gun, purple coat, white makeup, green hair, head to toe, did the damn thing. He blew up IG over the weekend with <laughs> with uh, in-character performance inside the parking garage. Had the mannerisms. Had the Heath Ledger-inspired antics and the laugh down. I almost couldn't tell that was Diddy. And then the shot of him in the street while Tyler, the creator, is in the SUV. And he's in, like, a full... Russian-inspired winter coat and hat like he normally does. You know, the big oversized hat. And Daddy is still in character approaching the car. And Tyler, the creator, is just like WTF all over his face. Hilarious. But then at some point, there was another video that was uploaded on IG where Diddy was... It was Diddy and like... A bunch of dudes that look like security. And this one black guy. His name escapes me. It almost look, was looking pretty tense. Like the other guy had a problem. But Diddy was like. I'm love baby. I'm love. This was la- It was like Diddy love. Joker. I was like. Is he for real? Like. Diddy would come out. New Jack City. Love. The Joker. It was a whole lot going on. But I'm like, at this point, you might as well do like a whole series as the Joker. Because you don't know what's coming with Diddy. He's like, why are you doing this, man? I'm love, baby. Oh, you about that? You. I was like, oh my God. Is this like outtakes from the Hate Me Now music video with Nas? What's happening? And then shout out to Gunica Arnold. She dressed up as Lisa Left Eye's mugshot after Lisa Left Eye burned down Andre Risen's house. I said, this is iconic. Hope y'all got a lot of candy. Hope y'all were safe out there in the streets. Now let's get into the episode. Alright you white motherfuckers, all eyes on me. This is the Irish Years Podcast. America, America has a problem. So there I was minding my African-American business this weekend. When I started seeing on my YouTube homepage, like, video clips of this guy in court just going buck wild against the judge, buck wild against just having so many outbursts. And I'm like, what is this? Like, who is this dude? So I did some digging. I went to the Law and Crime Network channel on YouTube and I got a little bit more detail. So apparently the last three weeks, there was this uh, guy that after he fired his lawyers, he decided to represent himself in his own criminal case. Um, He was facing up to 71 new charges and life behind bars. This guy by the name of Darrell Brooks, who uh, was the suspect in the Waikisha Christmas Parade uh, 
murder that killed six people and injured multiple others. Uh, Originally, according to the U.S. Sun, Brooks 39 was charged with five counts of intentional homicide, but an amended criminal complaint was filed adding the new charges. Y'all look crazy as fuck. So, Daryl Brooks, the Waukesha Christmas Parade suspect, facing 71 new charges in connection to the crash that killed six people. He was accused of intentionally driving an SUV into the crowd of people. The 77 charges included first-degree intentional homicide, six counts, first-degree recklessly endangering safety, 61 counts, hit-and-run resulting in two counts, misdemeanor battery, two counts. Each first-degree intentional homicide charge carries a mandatory life sentence if he's convicted. So he was accused of allegedly driving his SUV through a crowd of people during a Christmas parade. Prosecutors say he intentionally swerved his vehicle with the intent of hitting people. The criminal complaint claims that Brooks had ignored several attempts to stop to stop him. He allegedly did hit the brakes at one point, but turned into the crowd and began to accelerate. So, the clips I had saw on YouTube was of this guy just acting reckless in court. You know, according to court etiquette. Arguing with the judge... When he tried to really go outside the conduct, trying to go outside the lines of what is doable and not doable according to law. Like, for example, he wanted to nullify the jury, which means he wanted to, he wanted, I believe, a verdict or for them to not act on emotion or something or act off of emotion, which the judge denied. Like each each motion he tried just about or each time he just went wild with against the prosecutors who all went to law school. It was like three or four people on that side. Um, he wanted to... <laughs> This fool wanted to call the state of West of of Wisconsin to to the court. Like he wanted to call them as a witness. It's like the state is an entity, not a person. He cross-examined several people and each person you can clearly see like police officers his ex-girlfriend, each person he called to the stand, like, they had excerpts or clips of him. Each question, there was, like, a hard eye roll or a deep sigh, like, this guy can't be serious. Um, When there was a point in the case where, as the prosecutors were talking, they brought up his history And part of that history was the report of one of his girlfriends being underage. And that set him off to the point, to the point that the judge that was well beyond any patience or any grace with this guy at this point was like, okay, we're just, instead of just taking a break, we're just going to take a one hour lunch. And as you can clearly see from the camera in the back of the room facing the judge, 
that she is leaving the room. People are walking out. This guy is standing there, this Darrell Brooks guy. And he is pissed off that this guy brought up. He was like, well, why don't you tell the whole story since you want to sit there? He just kept repeating it over and over and over again. And by this point, all you see is the judge's bench empty. Like she's not sitting there anymore. And the camera's facing the staff of the flag behind the chair. And this guy's going off over and over and over again. Won't you tell won't you tell the whole story since you don't know what you're talking about? You don't know what you're talking about, like Dear Darrell Brooks. If the best you can be, or the best you are at this point, is a rapper, a local rapper that you claim, it's probably not best to fire your legal team and represent yourself in your own criminal case brought on by the state, especially when you're facing up to 70 charges. Ended up finding him guilty, of course, and I believe the sentencing is soon. But I've never, and I've seen plenty of court cases, I've never in the history of my life, just like the the whole, pretty much the whole trial, this guy never sat still, would stand and he would be like, well, why can't I ask you? Or why can't I do this? And then as the judge who is qualified to be a judge is giving him the parameters and telling him the law, he is like looking up at the ceiling, saying stuff under his breath, you know, not paying attention, being utterly disrespectful to the judge. And I'm just like, this is a complete circus. It was almost like, she was dealing with a child. And it's like, dude, we got you on ring camera getting arrested, like bearded, disheveled, the same the same photos um, that you see when you look up this article, uh, the mug shots and everything of that day. Because it didn't take long for them to to catch up to him and arrest him after he did it. They say that his motive for the crime is unknown, but investigators have said that the suspect was allegedly fleeing the scene of a domestic situation when he crashed into the parade goers. So, here's the thing. Sir, you committed a crime previous to this. A domestic situation, possibly with the girl that you were with at the time. And then, during the course of fleeing that situation, you decide to mow down, allegedly mow down, Hundreds of people during a parade. And they had, in one of the clips, the seven people that he killed. Um, and it was the list was even longer of the number of people and the names that he injured. What What is going on here, sir? And, you know, when you look this stuff up on YouTube, go to the Law and Crime Network and put in Daryl Brooks, like you will see all kinds of clips and so meant so much because this guy is a wrecking ball. I was just over here minding my African-American business. And I was like, what is this? 
Like, why even waste a month of the state's time? Like, I heard about the nullifying later after watching so many crazy clips. Like, there's even a an image of him. I don't know if it's part of a clip, a different clip, where he is sitting in the chair with his face framed by the collar of his suit jacket. I was like, this looks like it could be a future Atlanta episode. Like, just that image alone, I was like, oof, we had a time last night. We had a time last night. What is happening? Look up Darrell Brooks. This is Mr. Fox. So, a couple of housekeeping items. Uh, rest in peace to Jerry Lee Lewis, rock and roll's first wild man. Dead at 87, nearly days after having a TMZ interview, putting to rest death hoaxes that he was dead. Dead at 87. I ain't going to be talking about him too tough. It is what it is. I mean, to me, Little Richard is the true rock and roll king. Next item. Has anybody ever confirmed whether or not Katy Perry is a robot? The eye glitch that occurred was very much giving Eva destruction. She claimed it was part of her show, one of several things that she does in her show. Mm, that's news to me. I ain't never seen that before, and I've seen plenty of Katy Perry live performances. But good on her for using that as a marketing ploy to bring more attention to her Las Vegas residency. I mean, I can take it or leave it. Last housekeeping item, Rihanna drops her first single in almost seven years called Lift Me Up, which will appear on the Wakanda Forever soundtrack. I played it a couple times this morning as I was, you know, getting ready for my work day. It's cute for a little yang 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 around the house. I mean, I wouldn't expect it to be like a bodyguard ballad or something. But it's cute, you know. It's it's it is what it is. Lastly, but not least, certainly not least, SZA has dropped her official first single for her next album. The single is called uh, Shirt, T-Shirt, Shirt. And I saw the little trailer for the music video last night. And I was like, what is this? It looks like a Kill Bill anime inspired kind of situation with the hair and the makeup and everything. And, you know, my uh, baby daddy in my head, Lakeith Stanfield, is her leading man. Just like he was her leading man in, I believe, I believe it was Hit Different, or was it Better Days? One of the, one of the two, I think. I'm all the way here for it. You know, I was just on Punch's neck earlier this week about, bruh, you, you talking all this and that about, uh, what the fuck was he talking about? Punch was talking about something I I forgot that fast, but in response, I put a scissor gif as part of the thread because at this point, sir, it has been five years since 
the Control album, which continues to have a chokehold on us. And it's like, SZA, if you're under duress, girl, blank. Give us some kind of nonverbal because this is some bullshit. Um, and then she tried to, she did that deluxe. She re- released a deluxe version of the Control album a couple months ago. Eh, I mean, you could have kept those uh, five or six songs. But, you know, she's been eating really good the last uh, year or two. You know, Kiss Me More with Doja Cat. Big record this year and all last year. Girlfriend finally got her first Grammy after being snubbed five or six times in 2018 uh, after doing the, the Control album. But it looks like we're getting a proper rollout this time. And I'm excited. I'm like, now is the time. You know, you got some new girls out here, but SZA is where it's at. So I'm super excited. You know, I've heard, um, I played that song a couple of times this morning, and I like it. Um, I just hope the other songs will be on this album as well. You know, Hit Different, Better Days, um, I Hate You, and this song too. I mean, just... I'm just curious to see what else she's going to have on this album. And also, I noticed that y'all aren't discussing enough uh, the fact that Prize from the Fugees is going on trial next month. And if not, soon. Over uh, charges and allegations and blase blase that he had been laundering money and doing political lobbying for prime ministers in other countries in addition to some of some of the factions within Trump's camp the list of people they're going to call to testify includes some Hollywood big names like Leo DiCaprio allegedly because allegedly some of that money was used allegedly to finance Wolf of Wall Street, a movie that's almost 10 years old. So we'll see. Um, the fallout from that, I guess, from the, the smoke or the steam or the heat is that one of the prime ministers resigned. And, you know, once political folks start resigning and shit, it's, it's going to be a bigger snowball by the end of the year, I feel like. But y'all aren't discussed enough about that. We've discussed it um, in great length on the Usual Suspects podcast. Go check that out. Mr. Fox and the Abstract Sagittarius. So there I was minding my African-American business when lo and behold, y'all out here cutting up. And I need some answers. America. America has a problem. So since our previous episode, Ashanti, R&B songstress, took time out of our busy schedule to sit down with the Angie Martinez for Angie's IRL, IRL podcast in real life podcast. So we all know why she was there. Why Shanti decided to sit down with her um, post the Murder Inc. documentary that came out within the past month or so. It was roughly, I think, five or six episodes. And I've watched the whole thing in its entirety. Well after, you know, people were chopping and screwing the clips uh, because they wanted to, despite all of the history, the legacy of Murder, Inc., everybody was 
setting himself on fire over the Ashanti piece. And it was like, okay, I hope that's not the only thing that he, that these people talk about. Um, so after watching the Murder, Inc. story, the docuseries, and listening to Ashanti's episode on IRL podcast, in real life podcast, I was just like, this is unfortunate on both sides, right? So the, the Ashanti episode really didn't break new ground for me. She, you know, that's the downside to being, you know, diplomatic and, and at peace and all this other stuff. It's like, you either going to tell us everything. Like, at this point, there's no cut cards. All, all bets are off. Like, you got to tell your story. And, you know, she was being delicate and nice and pleasant and everything. And it's like, girl, at this point, you at this point, I believe you got your master's back. You're in you're on the path to re-record your debut to ensure that any future royalties go straight to you. And you cut out Irv Gotti as the 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 license owner or the contract owner for the music but it's like you really this really could have been your chance and we all know why you were called to come into the episode and it's cute you know to talk about the beginning of your career and you know getting your star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame and all this other stuff and you know outside of that her response to what Irv has said or what she was told that Irv said really wasn't giving what I thought it would give. Like, there is definitely a way to respond and still keep it cute. Like, you still tell the truth. You tell the truth nonetheless. Like, everybody knows that y'all were, y'all were, y'all were on each other. And there's nothing wrong with that. And, you know, leave it up to the people out here to decipher what exactly that means as far as as far as the dynamic. Like, oh, well, she did it to get beats or she did it to, to get music or she did it to get put on. It's like, no. Because she had been writing well before he was even in the picture. And her pen game was on point. And... I love that in the episode that she did with Angie Martinez that she made it a point to talk about how competitive it was at Murder, Inc. Like, she definitely proved herself worthy of the opportunity and worthy of having a solo career. So let's not play with the narrative that Ashanti was messing with Herb to do music. That's not the case. But unfortunately, it's a situation, this is the kind of situation where it's unfair on both sides. Like, here you have Irv Gotti, who in the docuseries was great as far as getting the the background. Like, I didn't, you, you know, you find out a lot about him as a person and his family and his parents and how 
you know, his childhood was and how he got his start as a legit DJ. You know, not some guy with the name DJ and his stage name and having everybody else do the music. Coward. Um, like an actual DJ scratching and mixing and all this other stuff, doing stuff around the neighborhood as a DJ, doing like blend tapes and mixtapes and working his way up and then forging a relationship with Jay-Z during Jay-Z and Jazzo's um, era, you know, the late 80s. They went over to Europe and spent a year over there or whatever and became the best of friends. And then through that association, a lot of doors opened up for Irv God and he worked hard to do that. I didn't know that he was on uh, Mick Geronimo's first album. There's a lot, you know, and it's a great docuseries. Um, unfortunately, towards the middle, from the middle to like the almost towards the end, like the the court case and everything, it was pretty much all about Ashanti. And a couple of things I didn't like about that section of the docuseries, um, the Murder, Inc. story, is that people, you know, like Vita and to some effect Charlie Baltimore were dancing around what they really wanted to say. And Vita with her 5,000 teeth was like, anybody that got an issue can come see me. We don't know where you are, girl. Nobody's really checking for you. Half the people don't even know that you were in belly. But here's the thing. It's like, did we feel like all the attention was put on her and less attention was put on us? Like, if you bring it, if you bring up that kind of question, won't you answer it? Like, be real. Um, one way or another, you know, there is definitely politics in the record business, but it's not her fault. And trust and believe, it's like, I believe her and Ja Rule were on Murder, Inc. first. And, you know, Charlie Baltimore had somewhat of a name from her association with um, Lance on Rivera and Cameron through um, uh, Undertainment, which was like the late 90s. <sighs> what an era that was. And Lance Rivera was also another producer, but, you know, he doesn't get discussed enough. He hasn't been discussed enough a lot since being stabbed by Jay-Z, allegedly, for allegedly bootlegging, what, Volume 3? Jay-Z's Volume 3? Anyway, they the, the fact of the matter was, you know, what they were writing, what Vita and Charlie Baltimore were writing... Like, I guess the buzz wasn't big enough. You know, I guess they had to go through a process that everybody else at any record label does is they get their music tested out. Like, and I guess if they feel like it wasn't hidden, I mean, they had a couple of compilations, um, Murder, Inc. did, and the stuff that included Vita and Charlie Baltimore, you know, the compilation, the compilations were not hidden. And you can't fault her for that. And it's like, I hate 
the negative implication here where it's like, you know, do we feel like her allegedly fooling around with Herb played a part in us not having our shit put out? They didn't say that, but that's, I'm watching it. I'm binge watching it like two, three episodes at a time. And I'm just like, what are you saying? Because most of the time, y'all saying a whole bunch of nothing. Um, I guess Vita came into the situation assuming, oh, well, you know, I got family in the business. You know, Kima is my sister from Total. And because, you know, that she did have that one good song with Ja Rule, Little Mo, which was a remix of Put It On Me, right? And you would have thought, okay. Not too bad. You know, she was in Bali. Okay, not too bad. Um, I want to be a chick or down for you. Okay, not too bad. But what what, what do you expect? It's like, you know, it's not on another artist or, you know, the fact that her shit's actually hitting pretty hard. Like, R&B was really strong for a while in the 2000s. And this is, we're talking what, 2000, 2001, 2002, 2003, 2004. Like, R&B at that point was mainstream and international. And Ashanti got wrapped up in that. But let's not act like she just walked in the door one day and she hit. Like, she had been writing for a while. But And that's the thing. It's like, you guys are trying to imply this thing. It's ultimately on Irv's shoulders. And it would have been nice if they had maximized their screen time in the docuseries to talk more about their relationship with Irv and what they were expecting. Like, this is your time to, to speak. You know, nobody was looking for you the past 10, 15 years. Yet here we are, your first major opportunity. And y'all are revolving around this Ashanti Irv Gotti thing. And another thing from the documentary, just the feeling I got as he was talking about Ashanti, was that Irv Gotti has, gives off big, where's my hug energy? You know what I mean? Like, you're not going to hug me, girl? Where's my hug? Smile for me. Like, really weird casino security guard energy. Like, I would go down, from time to time, I would go down to the Horseshoe Casino in Baltimore. I remember this one time I went with two two girlfriends of mine. And we're at the, the entrance or the major security checkpoint where the security guards check your ID. And I guess... My one girlfriend wasn't smiling in the photo, in her photo ID. And the security guard asked her to smile for him. Very weird. That's that's the kind of energy that Irv Gotti gives me in the docuseries. And it's like, nigga, you talk too much. You talk way too much. Like, you can't hold water to save your life. Are you a good, like, promoter and a great producer? Sure, but damn, some discretion would be nice. And he, it very much did come off like predatory 
where it was like, you are, you are a little amped about it. And, you know, to Ashanti's credit, thank God, you know, for the, even though I said for the most part, her, her uh, interviewer episode with Angie Martinez on the IRL podcast, it wasn't, um, there wasn't much she was giving, but, you know, it was very poignant the thing she did say that, yeah, Irv had a lot of women. Wasn't, but she didn't um, flat out say uh, we slept together or anything, but you can tell that she was dancing close to to this the word, like call it a situationship or a situation. And, you know, it's very easy for a lot of people to walk away saying that it was it's very unfortunate that that occurred um and then they go a step further and they're like well it's uh it's very bad form on an executive to do that kind of thing because it looks like you're taking advantage of her and and to some degree it it does definitely look like that but let's not act like they're not two grown people Irv, air quote, separated, but still going home and being active in family life. Ashanti, single. Um, but also on, on that, it's like she said that he was, Irv was blocking like radio play for her. Now, mind you, she had, she did three albums on the Murder Inc. label. Now, her debut album, she did Chapter 2 and Concrete Rose, I believe. And then after that, she jumped to another label. But yeah, she said, like, during that time, he was, like, blocking her opportunities with uh, airplay and radio play and saying little snide shit like, you know, nobody else wants to work with you, and I made you, and, you know, nobody wants to make music with you, when the reality was that people were reaching out. And I sat back, I sat back and I thought, damn, I can only imagine who reached out or what music we could have had. And I, then that's when I started to look at Irv Gotti different. I was like, dude, you are a fucking creep. You're a fucking creep. So, you know, it, she didn't break new ground or anything for the most part. I understand she was trying to be diplomatic, but it's like, like, now is your time. Like, this man has been talking shit about you. Hours and hours on end. Like, what's the worst that could happen? You know, the, the Murder, Inc. Uh, documentary, hopefully it's still on cable, was a really good, was a really good docuseries. Uh, like, you really would, if you're somebody that was that's curious as to 
how this kind of thing, how people go from being a producer or a DJ to associations to continuing to produce for other artists to getting their own label and sealing their own legacy and the whole business, you know, the business aspect. It's, it's a, it's a great docuseries. I just wish a lot of the screen time wasn't dedicated to talking about Ashanti. Like you really, that really could have been all of about 10 minutes, but you got him and then you had Vita and then Charlie. And it's like, Y'all just say that y'all didn't like her. Oh, oh, you know, her her mom tried to keep us separate. Or keep, please, nobody has that much power. But anyway, it, it's if you want to get into it, you can go over to the IRL podcast with Angie Martinez and get into it. I think it's roughly forty five minutes to an hour. Um. I wouldn't be surprised if at some point Ashanti did a biopic and give us the unfiltered version. America, America has a problem. What the hell's going on out here in these streets? Y'all out here attacking politicians, spouses in the house in the middle of the damn morning? Nancy Pelosi's husband has been attacked by a man with a hammer. Suspect said, where's Nancy? So according to MSN.com, Paul Pelosi, husband of House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, was violently assaulted by a man who broke into their San Francisco home early Friday morning, according to a spokesman. The suspect, 42-year-old David DePapi, was found attacking Paul Pelosi with a hammer when officers responded to a priority well-being check at 2.27 a.m., local time, the San Francisco police said. Officers tackled the suspect and disarmed him, police said. Paul Pelosi, 82, is in the hospital and is expected to make a full recovery, the speaker's spokesperson, Drew Hamill, said in a statement. But two sources familiar with the matter told ABC News his injuries are significant. DePapi allegedly entered the house through a sliding glass door, law enforcement sources familiar with the matter told ABC News. The suspect shouted, where's Nancy, before allegedly striking Paul Pelosi, according to two sources familiar with the matter. Nancy Pelosi was in Washington, D.C. with her protective detail at the time, according to the Capitol Police. The poppy who was hospitalized with injuries will be booked on charges including attempted murder, assault with a deadly weapon, burglary, and elderly abuse, people say. Police said. The motive is under investigation, Hamble said. The Capitol Police, FBI, and San Francisco Police Department are all involved in the investigation. The San Francisco District Attorney's Office said the case will be handled locally. Charges are forthcoming but have not yet been filed, the District Attorney's Office said. The Speaker and her family are grateful to the first responders and medical professionals involved and request privacy at this time, Hamble added. President Joe Biden spoke with Nancy Pelosi Friday morning to express his support after this horrible attack, White House Press Secretary Karen Jean-Pierre said in a statement. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer said in a statement, What happened to Paul Pelosi was a dastardly act. 
I spoke with Speaker Pelosi earlier this morning and conveyed my deepest concern and heartfelt wishes to her husband and their family, and I wish him a speedy recovery. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell tweeted that he's horrified and disgusted by the attack, adding grateful to hear that Paul is on track to make a full recovery. House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy reached out to Nancy Pelosi to check in on Paul and said he's praying for a full recovery, according to his spokesperson. ABC News' Trish Turner, Pierre Thomas, Rachel Scott, and Alex Stone contributed to this report. This is what I have to say to this. Y'all really should really should really find something else better to do than to target politicians that were appointed to their seat, appointed to the job by the people that are out here. Clearly, y'all need to take a couple of American government classes, uh, political science major, really figure out what your calling and ministry is in life. Because I guarantee you, just like the story about the activists throwing food on pieces of art in protests of climate change, attacking or targeting politicians is not the flex y'all think it is. Like, whatever outcome or whatever message you're trying to send is not going to change one thing or another. If anything, Nancy Pelosi is going to possibly move with Paul Pelosi. They're going to get more security. They're probably going to move into a high-rise. Like, Y'all are so dumb. First, it was, what, the Capitol Hill thing that happened. It was earlier this year, right? It was earlier this year. Y'all thought, well, if we just attempt to overthrow or take uh, over a major government facility like Capitol Hill, that we're really, this is really going to be major. First of all, this is not World War One. Secondly, it's a fucking crime. And I know that shit was an inside job. But like this attack, and just like the Capitol Hill attempt, uh, it's seizure of the Capitol Hill or whatever, all of that stems from the hate speech um, the rhetoric and the the uh, conversations that people that don't agree with Pelosi or understand what she's doing or understand what she represents are going for it. Like it's like they think, oh well, if we start taking out, start hitting higher on the chain and start aiming higher at the people. You know, we couldn't take, we couldn't overthrow Capitol Hill and and seize it. So we're just gonna target and case, because nine times out of 10, this person that attacked Paul Pelosi had been casing the house for a while. Like, if there's anything I've learned from watching First 48 and watching Forensic Files, and any kind of 
crime mystery shit. Uh, people that are that dedicated and trying to achieve a goal where they target a particular person, they've been casing the property for a while. Because I don't even think home addresses and phone numbers of people that higher up in the chain is public knowledge. I could be wrong. I didn't even know she lived in San Francisco or California. I know Queen Maxine does. Like, they were... They they love talking about her. And you know what I say. If they're talking about you, you're doing something right. And Queen Maxine has been doing something right for a lot of years. But y'all doing the utmost. Y'all think that's going to do anything? You think you're gonna? that's going to get you what you want? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And I'm going to need y'all to go outside and touch a blade of grass. And uh, go rollerblading or skateboarding or something because y'all are doing the utmost for me. For me. We here at the I Refuse podcast are not always fun and games and pettiness and, you know, swirling around in negativity. <laughs> We here at the RFUs podcast love to sprinkle some positivity and some black excellence. One Asha Bow could be one of the first black women to make cons- commercial space flight. Last July, according to ABC News, the space flight company Blue Origin made its first commercial flight, and since then, five more crews of space tourists have taken the flight. NBC News' Joshua Johnson speaks with former NASA rocket scientist Asha Bell, who recently announced her plans to become one of the first black women aboard a commercial space flight. In a post shared on LinkedIn, the STEM board founder and CEO revealed that she is anticipating becoming the first black woman and the first to fly on Blue Origin's new Shepard to head to space. The mission comes 30 years after former NASA astronaut Mae Jameson became the first black woman to travel to space in 1992. Since then, there are only four other black women who carry that distinction. NASA astronaut Stephanie Wilson, Joan Higginbotham, Jessica Watkins, and Dr. Son Proctor of the SpaceX Inspiration4 mission. I am honored, she said in a post, to follow the footsteps of these incredible women. Can't wait to fly on the future flight of Blue Origin's New Shepard. As the first black woman confirmed to fly with Blue Origin or New Shepard, she'll be following in the footsteps of Mae Jameson. In the LinkedIn post, she rightfully shared her excitement as she prepares to add her name to the legendary list of women. I am honored to follow the footsteps of these incredible women. I can't wait to fly on a a future flight of Blue Origin's New Shepard, she wrote. Bo is a former NASA rocket scientist and the creator of STEMBoard. The engineering solutions company has been recognized by Incorporated 5000 as one of the fastest growing companies in America. What's more, she was ra- she has raised nearly two million in venture capital 
funding for Lingo. As Afrotech previously reported, Lingo is a self-paced coding kit designed to help students learn technical concepts at home. It's pretty awesome. According to her website, her journey first began in a pre-algebra class in community college. Since then, she has gone on to earn a bachelor's degree in aerospace and a master's in space systems engineering from the University of Michigan. Currently, she serves on her alma mater's aerospace department industry advisory board. Go, Black Queen, go. Go, Black Queen, go. This is so awesome. Look. I employ more of us whenever we have the opportunity to leave this ghetto ass planet, please do so. Like, and when you make it to space or to another planet, report back to us down here who are still on this ghetto ass planet and tell us what it's like. (laughs) Cause listen, I've been dying. Like when, this lifetime gets to a point where you can actually get on a space cruise ship like they did on Fifth Element and like travel space. I really wish the ship was called Floss in Paradise because I would be the first one with a ticket. Like when I tell y'all this planet, this world, this earth is so damn ghetto. Like the United States alone is like the Cabrini Green of the fucking earth like it's it's terrible i hate it here i really do hate it here moving right along in the show we here at the average views podcast pride ourselves on giving you some tea exclusive tea so word on the curb is that the academy award-winning comedian and hollywood black sheep who is on the come up again thank you god monique is coming out with a netflix documentary called i'm monique a couple of people on twitter tweeted that they just left the taping of the documentary and it's going to be really good so i want to take this moment to acclaim Monique you know it's one of those things where you have an artist a comedian a a chameleon a black female chameleon who given her accolades and her long resume she was never really given the respect and unfortunately her case her experience the whole discourse is the perfect example of how jumping on the bandwagon too soon and rushing to cancel somebody because we don't understand on the front end really can blow up in your face. You know, when she went out on the talk shows and was interviewed about her wanting people to cancel Netflix and not side with them because they were disproportionately low-balling black performers and black artists who've put in a lot of work in favor of more green white performers. 
And then, you know, people, you know, the reaction was that people were like, well, it's about relevancy. It's about how many butts can you put in the seats? And we haven't, you know, people wanted to downplay her marketability, her viability, like the only work she's ever done is the Parkers, hair show, um, fat girls, and what, the charm school. <clears throat> you know, they don't want to talk about all those years she did stand-up com- com- comedy going back as early as, what, 89, 90, how... A lot of the people who come from that are still doing that and they don't get the opportunities, but they want to play in the face of a black woman, a black comedian who, even with doing the shows and the movies and the parkers and everything, she still busts her ass on the stand up comedy route. Like she still pulls in the numbers. But it's almost like Netflix didn't want to factor that in. <clears throat> Even almost 20 years after the Queens of Comedy tour. Which, if I'm not mistaken, grossed almost up at the end of where the Kings of Comedy grossed. It may have been not the same, but it was definitely up there. I mean, enough clearly that they made a movie and had a soundtrack as well but people tend to forget history and i believe that she was being played in the background not only by netflix but clearly by oprah and tyler and lee daniels and it's like they there's this expectation to play the game and abide by respectability politics but they're still disrespecting all of that. And they wanted more out of her past contract obligations. And they didn't like that she said no. <clears throat> but she also exposed how two-faced your own people can be. And I really love that she is not only st- stood her ground, which is very important, stay true to herself and true to her art form, even when people disagree with her. You know, it's a lot of people out here that fake and put on a, a front and sell out for the sake of money, backstab, and they're not any closer to greatness than she is. So for me, it's like, I, w- I would love to see what comes out of this next chapter for her. And she can prove herself. Like not many comedians can say they won an Academy Award. And that alone should have opened a lot more doors. But because she speaks the truth, she's blackballed. So she will have a Netflix documentary called I Am Monique or This Is Monique. You've heard it here first. So anyway, one last item You know, I don't really follow all the housewives. I really only pay attention to the Housewives of Potomac, which is keeping their reign real strong, and it's only three episodes into the new season. 
Um, I haven't watched Atlanta Housewives like that. Um, didn't watch BravoCon. I don't even know why they have that kind of thing. But I did catch a whiff of how a couple of ladies over in, what, the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills? I don't even know which one, but it's the one with Garcelle. Where during the reunion, they were playing in her face over this drama involving her son. Um, they were they were just gaslighting the, the dog fuck out of her. And Andy, as the, what, the facilitator or the host or whatever, essentially just lets, lets the shit happen. Oh, it's, it's, you know, it's a denial. Oh, it, it's not what you think it is. And it's exactly what it, she said as it is. And he probably caught up in his bias. He has favorites off of every fucking uh, show or cycle or whatever over there of his housewives. Um, when he, it was only after the discourse and the blowback that he offered an apology or said that he apologized to her. And to me, it's like the apology should be just as public and obvious as the disappointment. I'd like to wrap out this episode with story time. So during our break, I started to go into this um, on the first episode, I believe. During the during the summer, you know, I I, uh, I did move into an apartment last year, so I've been in this apartment a little over a year. You know, and during that year, no issues as of late. You know, during that time, but I came home after my usual Wednesday evening, and. You know, from from the bar, had a couple of drinks, just having a good time, and the way the apartment's laid out, you can look into the kitchen from the bedroom. And I was on the bed, and you know how you think you see something out of the corner of your eye. It's like that can't be what I. Th-. And sure enough, it was a fucking mouse. Which, I mean, it it's expected. It's no big deal. Um, but there is a thing, like, I'm from Baltimore, so living with mice is not new to me. But when you've gone so long without living with a mouse, and you finally see one, it's like, oh, shit. And not every mouse is the same fucking size. I don't know what they're feeding the ones out here, but... The bitch was a little big. But anyway, I was like, yeah, we need to nip this in the butt right away. You know, went to Lolo's, got me a glue trap, caught the, the motherfucker landed on it the next day. No big deal. I was like, okay. Then I see another one. I was like, hmm. And I reached out to my landlord and looped her in about what was going on. And I was expecting, as somebody that pays a considerable amount on time and rent every month, the response to be a little bit better. And I'll I'll get into that. So I was like, look, we got mice. Could you help us out? 
you know, sends a little email, sends a little text message. She decides she she wants to come bring him up. Told me on the phone. I get to the door. Oh, she has backup. It's like okay. I don't know why we need additional people to drop off clue traps. Red flag. So we go into the kitchen. And by that point, the at first mouse was on there. I'm not picking that shit up. I don't pick anything up while it's still moving. And, you know, I was giving her the back the, the backstory and you know, what it looks like behind the stove, and I'd offered to show her, and she was like, no, I already know what it looks like back there. So in my mind, I'm like, this bitch know, has known this entire time that there's an opening on the outlet that powers the stove, and the mice have been getting in through that. That was, that was the first, that was the first indication and mind you, they, many months ago, I guess they lived in this building. So, you knew all of that and still rented the shit out. Okay. So, moving on, she goes into this whole thing about a whole bunch of nothing. Not, you know, you know they tend, like, people tend to go into this, this whole conversation, like, you're stupid or you don't know what's going on, like... I'm aware of where I am. I'm aware of where I live. I'm aware of what's around us. Like, I'm not new to fucking planet. But, you know, the other thing is that people know exactly what they're doing when they're around an audience or they they bring people with them. It's a form of intimidation. It's a form of having a witness in case things go left. And I'm like, I'm not going to give her, I'm not going to give her that. I'm not going to even go do all that with her. Like, if anything, I have the upper hand because I live with the shit. But just because you're used to them wherever the fuck you live doesn't mean I have to put up with them. And you going into this whole diatribe about, well, I work and I can't be coming up here all the time to take my mice out. Lady, this is a health and safety issue. And you're getting paid promptly every month in full for rent, to rent this this motherfucker, this raggedy bitch. Um, and... It was she was coming off a, a little bitchy. And it's like nobody asked you to do all that and nobody asked you to bring backup like what you thought somebody was gonna jump you or something. Like you're supposed to do this as a landlord. And for me it's like coming from Baltimore, there are plenty of slumlords. You know, and it's it's very much a family operated thing. Like I had this um when I was living in Charles Village 
in 2009 to 2011, I think it was. Um, the building was owned by an Italian family. Mother, father, and their son. And they owned the previous place I had stayed at. I had to get up out of there too. Because the mouse situation was just out of control. And disrespectful mouse mice too. Like they were coming out of the vents. You could hear them in the walls. They were going through the clothes. Like it was it was madness. And it was like this is entirely too much. So I moved to another place that they owned and you know the mice issue it was an issue there too, but I had to leave that because it went from a mouse issue to bed bugs. Like who who in the world it was a neighbor downstairs who when he moved in probably like twenty or thirty years before, there was furniture already there like bedroom furniture, living room furniture. And instead of throwing it out, he decided to keep it and lay on it and stuff like that. So the bed bugs traveled to my apartment, to the apartment next to him. But the neighbor downstairs didn't have an issue. But he had his uh, stuff wrapped in plastic. I was like, yeah, it's, it's time to go. Like, you can keep the security deposit. I, I gotta go. I threw out all my shit and got all new shit. I was like, nope, I, I can't do this. And thankfully, it wasn't as bad in my unit, but it was like, it's time to go. So I know a little something, something about a slumlord situation. And it stems from indifference on from the, from the landlord. It's like, just because it's common where you live and you're used to them and it's no big deal to you doesn't mean the next person has to put up with it. And it's a person that you're making, not only just me, but like you have two other people in this building and you also have two business owners. You're making a lot of money hand over fist. And all you got to do is pay taxes and water. That's all you got to do. Like, you are making bank. If I was making bank, I wouldn't have any attitude. I wouldn't have an attitude. I wouldn't be a bitch about a lot of things. Like, nobody's forcing you to be a landlord. But it's clear to me that, like, you knew there was an issue. That's why you didn't want to look back there and then you have an attitude with I'm like oh yeah okay so this will probably be our last year here and thankfully there are other privately owned like buildings and stuff the idea is to like not deal with especially in this climate not to deal with um, commercial or um, corporate apartment complexes and stuff like that where they can increase the rent every year for a unit that still looks the same and operates the same. So the next place we get, it will definitely be bigger, and there are bigger places, but 
we we going to we're going to do a lot of research as to the kind of land people because it's like you don't give a shit and that's that's a problem for me and i absolutely fucking refuse like well i mean i i could be a real dick i could be a real dick and be like we can we can break lease like i don't see why we can't because this is a health and safety thing like my neighbor downstairs was telling me about how his dad caught spinal meningitis from a mouse I said bitch you are shitting me you are fucking shitting me like I've heard mice are nasty and diseased infested and all that other shit that's a large part of the reason why I don't fuck with them like I'm not anywhere near them when I see them I am bouncing but I've never heard of that before I've heard of like people dying from bats biting them or bats poking them or something, but I've never heard of like people actually getting sick from mice. I'm not surprised. And I'm like, ugh. Well, ask y'all, like, what's the deal breaker for y'all when it comes to renting a place and you're like halfway through the lease? Or halfway through a renewal and, you know, shit just falls apart on some level. For me, it would be mice and roaches and shit like that. And it's like, you could do all you possibly can to control or curb the situation. But it's like, them bitches still pop up. Them bitches still pop up. And who who has that kind of time? Who, who has that kind of time, right? Like, I, I just can't. I just can't. I just cannot. But, you know, it's like, what are you going to do? Ride the, le- ride the lease out. And hope, you know, the better, bigger place around the corner is still going to be available. I, I hope so, but I doubt it. Because it's, it's really nice around the corner. It's upgraded. You know, there's a washer and dryer in the apartment. There's a dishwasher. It's so space. It's like it's front to back. The entire length of the building is the apartment. You have a back deck. Place is so big, you pro- probably bowl and, and uh, roller skate through that bitch. That would be nice. Only downside is you have to park in the parking deck. And I mentioned earlier, there are like a lot of lifers out here and student drivers and rednecks. Which means the driving is very sus and could be very, very problematic. Now imagine that shit within the confines of a parking deck. A fucking mess. The reason why I wanted to share that story about the the mouse situation is to highlight the divide in the tenant landlord dynamic where 
even as they make a lot of money off of us, especially in this climate where people can just raise rent however high they want to from year to year, and you have corporate-backed apartment complexes that do the same thing, and it's like the response time and the turnaround to maintenance issues and other health and safety issues is not that quick. Nothing has been upgraded. Nothing has been done to improve the quality of life. And then you have this story that I just shared with you, the amount of apathy and indifference and this lower expectation and standard from a place of, hey, we should really do something about this down to, well, if I can live with them in my house, I don't see why you can't in this apartment that you pay us on time $1,200 a month to live in, and you're around it all the time. And when I'm faced with this responsibility, I'd rather take the time to make it about myself and the fact that I have to work all the time, and I don't have time to do this. I bet you would if the fucking rent was an escrow. Moving on. This is Mr. Fox, the I Refuse podcast. And we are out. We will catch you guys later. Be sure to follow and subscribe wherever you see the I Refuse podcast. Also check out the I Refuse podcast after dark if you're mature. And the other podcast, The Usual Suspects, with Mr. Fox and his co-host, The Abstract Sagittarius. And we have uh, Twitter, at I Refuse Podcast. Check that out, too. Follow and subscribe. We love it out here. Thank you for refusing with us.